Hello, and welcome back to the Rehumanized podcast. Today, we have something a little different for you, and I am very excited. We're changing up the format uh, just a little bit, and we are we're adding a friend. I am getting a co-host. They are here. Their name is Emiliano Vera. They're a board member of Rehumanized International. Hello. Hello, Rehumanized world. I'm so excited. Emiliano, who are you? Tell the listeners. Um, My name is Emiliano Vera. I am a new board member, the newest board member of Rehumanize International. I live in a little town in Illinois, and I am a former consistent life ethic candidate. And uh, yeah, just a person interested in making sure that uh, this world doesn't suck for everybody. Well, I'm excited that you're here. Um, I'm I'm concerned. I'm always I'm excited that Emiliano is joining uh, us on the podcast because I I need more friends, and so I'm excited to force people to talk to me via rehumanized projects. But also because Emiliano has been doing great work on the board for the short time that uh, he's been involved, and so I am super excited to bring anyone who has any sort of passion for the consistent life ethic on board as much literally on board because you're on the on the board of rehumanized but on board in all of our projects and in whatever way they can they can join the team to to help us out um in promoting this message and so i'm excited that we're going to get to hear uh, emiliano's voice on on this podcast and this wasn't planned but uh it does happen to be on an area with which i have much expertise on running as a consistent life ethic or pro-life democratic candidate or yep. candidate as general, but we're talking to uh, Democrats for life today. Yeah. Yeah. Today we're going to have on Xavier Biz- Biz- Xavier Bizitz from Democrats for Life of America um, to talk about running pro-life. Uh, they, they always use the term pro-life for the whole life Democrats. Uh, but it just means consistent life ethic. Um, there's there's like a hundred different words and phrases for this ideology that a lot of people share, or um, as you know, a growing number of people share. You know, consistent life ethic, pro life for the whole life, seamless garment. I, I feel like I've heard a lot of other ones. Um, I will say it's because of uh, rehumanize rehumanizes. I don't know. Did you guys coin the consistent life ethic term? No, like, we hashtag did not. CLE. No, we are. We probably. I'm. I'm like the most militant. Um, ironically, uh, about using consistent life ethic. The, the that phrasing. I just. I. I just like it more than I like a lot of the other ones. Um, but it was actually coined by. It, ooh, I, now I. I don't want to sp- spread disinfo, but. Um, it was definitely popularized by Joseph Cardinal Bernardin in the 1980s in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. Um. He was kind of the the first big like, you know, I you know my my belief is that there's a million different ideologies that kind of are consistent life ethic in a lot of different ways, um, but calling it consistent life ethic uh, was popularized by uh, Bernardin. Well, 80s. I appreciate Bernardin for introducing it to the world, and then uh, I included it. We'll discuss this probably later on the interview but i included the exact phrase consistent life ethic on my campaign website when i was running for state representative and i think i texted i think i either texted you or amy and was like is this proprietary is this is this a trademark oh i know i oh my gosh i hope no one has that uh that perception because if i want everyone listening to this to know please use the words consistent life ethic as much as possible as much as you physically can get out i want more people to hear this um nothing we we are rehumanized we own nothing i don't want to own anything everything we make i want you to take i want you to print it off from our website and throw it out into the world um or you know give us money and we'll we'll print our materials on the (laughs) on the on the next paper that we use Today we have Xavier Bizitz. 
with Democrats for Life of America. He's nodding, so I did pronounce it right. I always want to say biscuits. Every time I, I talk to you, I'm like, oh, Mr. Biscuits is here, but it's Bizzits. And yes, that was my nickname in elementary school. Biscuits. Oh, that's a great nickname, though. Yeah. Um, anyway, Mr. Biscuits is the vice president of Democrats for Life of America. Welcome, Xavier. Thank you so much for having me. Nice to be on with you, Herb and Emiliano. Yeah, so we are having uh, Xavier on to talk about running pro-life. This is a campaign that DFLA has right now, right? Runprolife.org. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means because DFLA is one of the, the few groups similar to Rehumanize International in that we both embrace a consistent life ethic. Um, and so... We are here at, at the Rehumanized podcast um, and Rehumanized generally a 501c3. So that means that we we don't endorse candidates. We I don't even have an opinion on them. I'm not allowed to. Um, even if people who I love with my whole heart, like Emiliano, are running for office, I can't endorse them uh, in my capacity as executive director of Rehumanized International. But DFLA is different. Um, and mm -hmm. what I am allowed to do is talk generally about uh, civic engagement. And so that's what we're doing today. We're talking about what... Yeah, because the IRS is listening. The IRS... For your C3 status. The IRS loves the Rehumanize podcast. They listen to every episode. They are our, they're our main subscriber. Base. We're just working our way down to government agencies. The We've got our, our IRS listener, our <laughs> FBI guy. Mm -hmm. We're trying Steel. to recruit an NSA guy. They, they listen to everything but our podcast somehow. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this because I do, I do genuinely think that often the work of building the consistent life ethic movement is sort of convincing people to hold a consistent life ethic. It's, it's getting your foot in the door and just calling people to embrace this philosophy of nonviolence. But Ultimately, I don't just want people to think, you know, the way I think, the way that um, the way that Rehumanize <laughs> thinks. Um, I want them to act on it, and I want them to go and change the world based off of these beliefs. And so, how do we do that, Xavier? Politics. You know, it's dirty, but you have to do it <laughs> because if you don't do it, someone else will, and then you won't get what you want. So, no, it's it's super important. Um, you know, I would say for for a long time, it frankly has not been very good. I, I would say, you know, on, on both sides of the aisle, right? You know, uh, and, you know, the, the past 20 years, we've lost maybe 60 pro-life Democrats in the House of Representatives, and I think around 500 pro-life Democrats at the state legislature level. So frankly, um, getting crushed, left, right, and center. And I think that was because for a long time, sort of our strategy was, you know, let's just hope that the party sort of eventually changes its mind and welcomes us and reaches out and says, what candidates do you want? Um, which actually used to be the case a little bit. In 2008, for example, the DNC did reach out to Democrats for Life and they were like, we want to run some pro-life Democrats in parts of the South and the Midwest because this is how we get to a majority. Um, and it actually worked for them. Um, but the sort of, you know, the extremists who do not, you know, subscribe to the consistent life ethic have been taking over the party. Um, they have all the money. And we're kind of at the point where we need to be independently running our own candidates and endorsing our own candidates. Um, because if we don't do it, no one else will. Mm -hmm. um, and the good news is that there's actually a lot of demand for this kind of candidate. And also there are a lot of people who want to run, but they're just not quite sure how. And given, you know, it's either they don't run at all or they run with a support of Planned Parenthood and, Emily, or, and Emily's List. So we need to be providing that alternative. And the, the great news is that because the U.S. has got a primary system, it is actually possible to run non-conventional candidates and sometimes have them win. Yeah. Emiliano, you uh, have run for office as a consistent life ethic candidate, right? What, what position did you run for? Um, so I've run for county board and I've also run for state representative, both in the Democratic and so prime in the yeah, Democratic Party. 
Oh, so you you did the the Democratic Party. Yeah, and I mean, okay. as now we've got a DFLA person on here, like that's something <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I agonized a lot over. Um, do you mm-hmm. experience like similar kind? Of, what's kind of like the thought process of your average, uh, consistent life ethic candidate? who's considering running as a Democrat, but thinks that being pro-life might put a wrench in that. So I think there are a lot of people who want to do it. It's sort of their natural mindset, but they're, they're just really afraid. Um, and frankly, like a lot of, a lot of people just need handholding more than they even need money, right? Like money is really important, right? Like we need to be funding candidates as well, which is why we're starting a pack as well this year. But we also need people to feel that they're, not alone, because the sad truth is, if you look at elected Democrats today, a lot of them deep down hold something which is a little bit more like the consistent life ethic than they would like to believe, but they just believe that it's totally unviable. They don't, for them to voice that, um, they don't uh, feel comfortable coming out with that particular view. And often there's this pattern that happens all the time that people, you know, having, having a written record or a spoken record of, you know, holding consistent life ethic beliefs. But as soon as they start running for office or get into office, they they flip, right? Um, and, you know, we can stop the flipping by endorsing our own candidates and to some extent making them feel beholden to us by, you know, um, starting, starting this pack. But we can also do it by like holding their hands and sort of making them feel as though they're not alone. And when they get attacked, which they inevitably will, you know, someone will be there to, to stand up for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something that uh, that I've noticed with a lot of the people who do run as as we uh, we sort of kind of use pro life Democrat and um, consistent life ethic candidate interchangeably sometime. Although that's not necessarily always true. Um, that is true. But if you're lazy, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of close enough. We we yeah. have some but good friends. But I do want to clarify are... though that we're. Oh, sorry. I was to say we have some good friends who are CLE Republicans. That's true. Yeah, no, I, I, I want to talk about that for a minute because I, um, I obviously, I love DFLA. I, I've had DFLA people on the podcast more than anyone else. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm involved, but um, I really, I don't believe that, you know, the only way to run pro-life or run consistent life ethic is to do it under the, the Democratic Party ticket. Um, and I think that that's important to remind people of that uh, because the consistent life ethic is not necessarily partisan. It, it, it's anti-partisan. It's bipartisan. It's transpartisan. It's nonpartisan. Um, because we have a situation where, you know, the Republicans support about half the issues and oppose half the issues, Democrats the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think for me, if I was, I'm not thinking about running for office, but if I did want to run for office, um, that's sort of a question that I would have to ask myself, you know, like, do I, you know, if I'm, you should probably run under a primary unless, you know, there's a chance that an independent candidate could win in, in your district. Um, but then you sort of have to make the call of, of which party you align with more. And I think that, I think that probably stops a lot of otherwise good CLE candidates in their tracks where they just don't want to get tied up in either of the parties because, you know, even if they lean more liberal they don't want to be seen as part of you know the the pro-abortion party and if they lean more conservative they don't want to be seen as you know part of what the gop is today in terms of the life issues yeah and to some extent it's a it's a practical decision as well right you know like if you want to get involved in politics it kind of does just make sense to get involved in the party which is going to get elected consistently in your district right yeah um and if you can do that without compromising your principles then you know maybe that's something you should think about yeah i mean that's uh, something, so, that... something that we uh oh no please sorry no go ahead oh i i was i was gonna no please say say your thing actually oh uh so please. the question of uh like what party if any party do i run under like that was something that was the thing that probably delayed me the longest in uh, deciding to actually 
declare my candidacy. Mm -hmm. Um, and like I was, especially after uh, Bernie's run in 2016, just really at the point of being like, yeah, screw the Democratic Party. Like neither from my pro life side nor from my progressive side did I feel the uh, mm -hmm. Democratic Party was really kind of uh, sticking up to my values and it's i live in a very republican area and so i was like i don't know about this but then i ended up uh choosing to run as a democrat after uh working on a, a democrats campaign and then just kind of i mean it does feel really like you in the party system you just kind of like stick with whatever one you started with because like switching parties or switching leaving parties is seen as such of like a big taboo once you get into i mean it's it's a really like the people who are actively involved is like a very tight network so if you leave the club it's kind of seen as a personal mm -hmm. insult to a lot of people yeah and i think that's that's probably sort of hyper in focus when we're talking about local elections um and state elections i think that um, re realistically, those are sort of the elections that whole life candidates at this point can really be successful at. Um, because I think that we often get in this cycle of, you know, every four years, it's time to elect the president. And that's the only time we care about politics, you know, for, for those of us who aren't political junkies. Um, and then it's like, I get to choose between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Like, I, they couldn't have found anyone a little bit closer to my views. Like it's hard to even rank them. Um, and I think that that can be, that can be frustrating. And there are people who do uh, some consistent life ethic candidates who have tried to run uh, at the national office unsuccessfully <laughs> so far, but I, I believe that we can build a coalition and win eventually. But I think that, that that's an important point that you bring up the, the sort of party politics and how they, how they play a role in these lower level elections um, and how it is very personal in many cases. The point about local connections is really important. Like a lot of people will reach out to us and I don't know if your podcast listeners, if you're thinking about running for office, think this, you know, often people come to us and they'll say, I want to run for the U S Senate against like, you know, Charles, you know, Grassley or whatever, um, like, you know, Congress. And like, you kind of look at their, their background and, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know that you're a heavy hitter. I think you're, a, you know, you're a nice guy. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we really encourage people to to, to start local, um, you know, um, either state or, you know, city council or, or county council. And that's a fantastic way to, to build local connections, um, develop your base and set up a, a bigger run um, uh, for, you know, your state house or for Congress eventually. Um, because those connections... Um, are really, really important. And especially if you have a slightly unconventional set of views, um, those convention, th those connections will, will stand up for you when, you know, push comes to crunch. Otherwise you can get branded really easily as a, as a, um, you know, as an extremist yourself, right. From the mm -hmm. outside. Yeah. A troublemaker, someone who, who's only running mm -hmm. to, to help the Republicans if, if you're running as a Democrat. Um, Correct. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, David Donofrio, um, who is also with Democrats for Life, he's unable to join today. But he was the one who actually started our initiative to recruit people to, to run for office as a, as a pro-life or a whole-life Democrat. Um, and he is involved in local politics himself. He's on the, the school board um, in Ohio of a, a fairly large school district, um, in addition to his day job. And he has a lot of connections with the local party. He's very well respected. I certainly hope that one day he will run for, for higher office. And we really encourage people to, to follow that path. Yeah. And I mean, I think that for, for again, the, the people who are not as into politics as maybe Xavier is, and I guess Emiliano too, um, I think that it can sort of seem like, well, what's, what's the point? I, you know, the, the, the secretary of the school board isn't going to issue a drone strike or do anything, you know, the, the decisions aren't going to come across their desk that um, impact the consistent life ethic that much. 
And I, because I've heard that from people, um, and I always want to push back against that because it's not necessarily true. Those small, uh, not, not, you know, there's no small parts, just the small actors. Um, those yeah. lower level positions um, can be really important. Even just school boards can have the issue of recruitment officers from the military in the schools. Yeah, totally. Who's teaching the sex ed classes? Is it the pro-life pregnancy center or is it, you know, Planned Parenthood? Mm -hmm. um, or is it a 300 And I think that, exactly. Um, and it, it, it matters. Um, each, each office, you're going to find something, even if it's just like a, you know, comptroller or something like that. Yeah. No, it's super important. Yeah. I was going to uh, ask like, what are, since you guys are really focusing on kind of like local and state elections, uh, what are some of the things that you have seen or you know can be done at these like local school board level, uh, county clerks, county boards, city council, things like that, that are in the consistent life ethic? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, you know, would highlight a couple of things that Herb's already touched upon, you know, like military recruitment is a big one. Um, same with, you know, like uh is Planned Parenthood coming in and sort of selling the message to to kids, right? Um uh and another big one would be um, you know, just on the abortion issue alone, for example, is like insurance coverage at like the the city council level, right? And mm -hmm. you know, local taxpayers are being forced to fund abortion. Um especially in states where the state itself is not doing it. Uh, that is a big one. Um, you know, obviously, you know, like, you know, climate change and environment related issues are like a big one for like the local level, you know, like this is where a lot of the, the action happens in terms of, you know, like pollution and like, you know, keeping our rivers clean. That is a super important one. Likewise, with you know, if you're thinking about, um, you know, like uh, respect for the elderly, right? like a lot of regulations and funding for, for nursing homes um, and in-home care will, will come at the local level. So, um, uh, you know, really cannot stress how much the local um, level matters. And oftentimes the budgets for the local level will be huge, right? You know, if you're thinking about like New York City politics, that's technically local politics, but it's just massive budget. Yeah. Um, like an, because an entire country is GDP that they're able to just deal with. Um, yeah, exactly. On the local level. Yeah. What about on the state level where, because I know there are several pro-life, um, you know, sort of state senators and, and uh, house representatives in that are affiliated with DFLA that are doing mm -hmm. really good work. Yeah, totally. So the background context is we have, I think uh, numbers are a little bit fuzzy, probably somewhere in the range of 150 to 200 pro-life Democrats in state houses and state senate or if not fully pro-life, at least they have a, a mixed record, right? Which is actually quite common. Um, but, you know, there are some people who are really, you know, trailblazers in terms of like putting forward the consistent life ethic, right? Like a really great example is John Bell Edwards in Louisiana, who not only led the only expansion of Medicaid in a Southern state um, in recent years, but, you know, also, you know, signed into law the state's heart bill, um, uh, heartbeat bill, which is fantastic. And I think is such a fantastic example of someone who was able to, to drive real change in, in a state, which is, you know, typically dominated by, by Republicans. Mm -hmm. Not that, as I said, not that, you know, Republicans are bad as a monolith, right. But, you know, obviously I'm speaking from a perspective of a, a democratic organization. <laughs> That's all right. You're, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be mindful of your listeners. I'm respectful towards everyone. Yeah, yeah. You said I'm interested in that kind of uh, uh, approach that you guys are taking now. You said that before you had just kind of talked to the Democratic Party and been like, "Hey, why don't you guys listen to us and be nice to us, and uh, you know, let us let us yeah. give you us give you our opinion on candidates and stuff." And uh, you found out that that has in recent years or decades perhaps not been the most effective Correct. way of getting the pro-life democrat whole life democrat uh voice heard so what have been kind of the changes in in so kind of to that point um for a long time our slogan at democrats for life or like one of our many slogans along with sort of like 
one in three, right? Which is one in three Democrats for life. And another big one was kind of like, open the big tent, right? Which is still, I think, in theory, one of our slogans, but we use it less now because I think our approach is, you know, it's not open the big tent, it's kind of like, you know, force open the tent, right? Ourselves. Um, and so from a, from a tactic and strategy perspective, you know, our philosophy is we want people um, not asking to be included, but turning up and making themselves be included and running in a primary yourself and making it clear that this is like a cool and normal thing to do to be a pro-life Democrat in the party. And we don't need anyone's permission to ask that. Right. Um, and actually, very interestingly, like this happened, um, speaking of our good friends, the Republicans, um, this happened in the 1980s, is my understanding with the Republican Party, like there weren't that, there were some pro-life candidates in the Republican Party, but like there really was a concerted effort to take the party over through primaries. People weren't being invited in. It was these pro-life activists really forcing themselves into the party and executing a really remarkable takeover, right? Like if you're thinking about the 1990s, there were plenty of pro, um, pro-choice pro Republicans in Congress. Now there is not a single one, right? You know, there is... Uh, a lot to be said for the idea that like a small group of people, an activist can, you know, take over a group, which is in theory, you know, open to be taken over, right? Like, you know, the Democratic Party is kind of a, it is there to be shaped by actual Democrats, right? Emiliano, I'm, I'm very, very curious to hear from your perspective as someone who run, who ran on a really explicit, consistent life ethic platform and was extremely open about it, right? You know, congratulations to you for doing that. Some people hide it, right? It was you on know, my website. What, what are your yeah, it was on your website, right? I remember looking at that. Um, what are your takeaways from that experience? Like, what did you learn and what would you recommend to someone else thinking about running for office and especially running for office in sort of a rural area, which is traditionally quite red? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to speak from that perspective and that perspective alone. Like, I don't know how well this would work at uh, the level of a, a larger city. Um, also, like... Keep in mind, uh, like that, I lost as well. But I mean, on the flip side of that, I uh, did get uh, almost forty percent of the vote. I went. I mean, which is I, huge. I, I went down with Bernie. I got the exact same percentage <laughs> as Bernie did, so I didn't yeah. feel bad. Wow. Um. So uh, first of all, my issues. I, I think I was all over the place, and the Democratic Party didn't know what to do with me because I was like also running as a socialist, and I think that was far more threatening to them than running as oh, a uh, pro-life Democrat because uh -huh. the Democratic Party has a very kind of paternalistic and kind of a demeaning look towards uh, just in Illinois, at least the Illinois Democratic Party, like towards rural areas and towards rural voters and rural candidates. Mm -hmm. um, so they try and kind of encourage uh, candidates to be just kind of Republicans light. And so being kind of quietly pro-life or less than 100% pro-abortion is kind of an okay thing. Being generally kind of like, you're supposed to run, according to the Democratic Party, as a moderate Republican, pretty much, if you're running as a Democrat wow. in um, downstate Illinois. And I, I think if I was not running um, as kind of like a Berniecrat, then I wouldn't have gotten the opposition from the state party that I did. And my opposition would have been mostly some pro-choice people who cared about enough, cared enough about that as kind of like a single issue to yeah. not support me. Um, and you know, going door to door... Yeah, going door to door, um, I definitely had way more people say that either as Republicans or independents or pro-life Democrats, I had way more people in my area say that they would vote for me um, because I was pro-life than the other way around. The most the most rudeness, I guess, that I experienced at a door while canvassing was not from not from Trump people disliking that I'm gay or Mexican or a socialist, but it was actually from kind of like a middle-class liberal, uh, like college professors when I, when they found out that I was pro-life. 
I had wow. one very committed Damn. heckler. I had one very committed heckler <laughs> on Facebook. And then I and then I accidentally <laughs> knocked on his door because I think his uh wife was on my canvassing list. And then he just like he was very nice at the door. Oh, until, you have to be. You have to be nice in person. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, hello, person who is always heckling me on Facebook. Um, I'm curious to hear about the the opposition that you face running as a burning crowd. Like, what did that look like? Like, the party like refuses to give resources to you, or like actively tries to undermine your reputation. Like, what is what form does that take? Well, the most direct form that that took was a like one specific county board chair like made it his mission to end my campaign. Um, uh, He was the one who like sought out and recommended the my opponent. Mm -hmm. Um, He also meddled in a union endorsement that I had unanimously won to get overturned. Um, Like there's a lot of we're not trying to scare off people. in this podcast we're trying to be encouraging people to run but this is i mean this is i think this was the most absolutely the most valuable um thing that i learned both running as kind of like a leftist candidate and also as a pro-life candidate is politics is amazingly surprisingly like person-centered and relationship-based so we have Mm -hmm. all of these structures yeah and i you know we hide behind like the laws and documents and bylaws and papers and stuff. Um, but it is truly like about who, you know, and what they Mm. think of you. I think that the, this, this conversation that's happening about, um, sort of facing opposition from the party for whatever reason, you know, whether or not it is, um, because you're, you're lefter than the, than the party or, you're you're more right. Um, I'm using air quotes for the listeners because we know that abortion isn't necessarily a left or right wing mm-hmm. issue. It just is that way in the United States um, for whatever reason, a lot of reasons uh, in history. But ultimately, this problem of opposition coming from perhaps within the party or within your own side is going to be something that comes up for a lot of candidates, regardless of if they're consistent life ethic or a whole host of other issues. Mm. And it's important to sort of have your movement, whatever it is, there to back you up. And so I want to just make the point that even if you're listening to this and you hate politics and you're like, I don't want to be involved at all. I, they're all evil, uh, which is kind of how I feel a little bit. That's how um, I feel too. So I still, <laughs> yeah, I still want to at least be the person who is willing to show up for my my movement, even though maybe my strategy 100% of the time isn't electoral based, I want to I want to be a part of that because I think that's a problem in a lot of social movements. Um, Emiliano is is the new guest or the new co-host of this podcast, and he is a socialist. But we are not a left wing organization. Um, Rehumanize has members and supporters and and team from all different uh you know right left center etc check out um, our uh new flyer series with on the website. oh yeah well that hasn't been uh published yet but check it out soon but this idea that um you, you still want to support the movement and for us that's the consistent life ethic movement mm-hmm. um and i think that it should always come back to that and i don't ever want to give the position that you know i just am all about um, pro-life Democrats and, you know, there's no Republicans. You're, if you're a Republican, you can't call yourself pro-life. You're, you're the same as, you know, Donald Trump or you're, you know, you're, yes, you're something 100% else. 100% agree. Um, and because we do need everyone and that, that's why we highlight the work of Democrats for Life so much because, you know, there's not really that analog in the Republican Party yet, but you can be that. You, you listener, if you're listening to this and being like, yeah, I'm I'm on board with the consistent life ethic, but I mean I'm not a Democrat. I hate taxes, et cetera. Whatever reason you you kind of lean conservative in the U.S. Um, you I want to like start your own thing. Come on, be 
tell me how to run as a right wing uh, consistent life ethic candidate because we need you. Um, and I think that um, I'm always excited by the work of Democrats for Life of America because you're willing to be that sort of you know, annoying voice that goes against the grain. And you have to do that in so many circumstances, whether or not it's the, you know, if it's the the Democratic Party saying, you know, we need pro-life people, or if it's the pro-life movement and saying, listen, we need pro-life people who aren't conservative. Um, and you have to play both of those roles simultaneously. And that's why I, I stand Democrats for Life of America, even though I'm like, not really a Democrat. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's, it, you know, one thing, one thing which I think is great about Democrats for Life is obviously, like, we are Democrats, but, like, we're probably, like, the least partisan organization with the name Democratic in its name, right? You know, like, we are very much about, you know, breaking down partisan boundaries and, you know, recognizing that it's not about tribal or partisan loyalty. It's about human rights. It's about, you know, protecting the most vulnerable, right? That's why that's why we're all here. And that's why, you know, there are independents um, and sometimes even Republicans who, you know, you know, really cheer us on, right? Because, you know, we're trying to break down those walls. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit more about the the practical steps. Like I say I'm a listener of the Rehumanized podcast and I am I'm so inspired by this episode that I'm ready. I'm gonna I'm running in, in twenty twenty two. What do I have to do? Who do I have to call? Who do? How do I start fundraising? What what steps do I take to be the next you know consistent life ethic representative? So I I would I would suggest two things. Um, first of all, go to our website democratsforlife.org and then click on the button that says elections up top, and then down there you can see something that says run as a pro-life Democrat, which will take you to our campaign, which is about running as a pro-life Democrat. You can also see seeking endorsements. So depending on how far you are along in your campaign, you may already just want to go ahead and submit that endorsement request. If you're still thinking about it, I encourage you not to do that, but to reach out using the contact form at runprolife.org to David Donofrio, who is our national recruitment director. And he or someone else from our team will set up time with you to talk about what are your options what is the best office which is most viable for you? Um, what is a good fit for your talents and your your profile? Um, how can we make this work, if at all, right? And maybe it is, you know, maybe it's something you shouldn't do. Maybe it's something you should do, right? But you know, you should you should think about it, right? Um, and I think we can help you think through the process of is this something which is even viable for me to do at my stage in life, and you know, my um, you know, my, the profile that I have in my community. Um, once you've done that, once you've made the choice, you want to commit as soon as you can and start preparing. And I think a couple of really important steps. Number one is obviously funding, right? You know, early funding is very important, right? If you, if you have early funding, that translates into more funding later on, right? You can't start thinking about this too late and you need to kind of put your shame aside when it comes to asking people for money, right? And I do this at Democrats for Life, right? Not in like an electoral capacity, but like I feel totally comfortable asking for people people for money, right? And you know, you can sort of train yourself to do it, even if it feels very awkward at first. And for me it was awkward for a long time. But eventually it's just like, fine, you know, you call a friend or a family member or someone you know from, you know, your church or your local organization. And if they say yes to giving you two hundred bucks for your campaign, great. You know, if they say no, you haven't really lost anything. You know, you've just developed that relationship a little bit more. Um, that is really important. If you don't learn to ask for money, you know, you're not unlikely to be successful as a candidate. Not that you need to be well-connected, right? But you need to be able to make those small asks in your community. Um, the second step would be getting involved in your local party, getting your name out there, um, you know, forming those alliances, making it clear that you're not there to be a troublemaker, but, you know, you're a team player and, you know, this is your vision. Um, particularly important, and Emiliano, this is maybe something you can talk about, is trying to, um, you know, get the support of your local union. Uh, that's That can be really powerful. What, what was the what was that process like for you, Emiliano? Um, so unions, especially kind of like the traditional union that you imagine when you talk about unions like the burly, I don't know, plumbers or like pipe fitters or welders and stuff like that. 
I found that they actually, I mean, uh, first of all, a lot of uh, union voters voted for Trump in 2016 and issues like abortion did uh, happen influencing factor in that. Like, I I think there is a a big reception, especially just among like working class voters um, uh, for uh, politics that is uh, progressive, uh, uh, labor oriented economically um, and uh, has a consistent respect for life uh, and human rights as well. With labor, I would say very similar to uh, with party politics, uh, get to know people and reach out and know people who know the people who you're trying to reach out to, um, because that will make the union interview process a lot easier. Really, it's all about relationships um, and developing Mm -hmm. those relationships. Talk to people on the phone, call them up, text them, make a relationship there, build a relationship, have lunch, have coffee. And then ask them for money in, you know, a couple couple months. Yep. <laughs> and also for fundraising, uh, it, it took me a long, long time to break that down. But I got good at it because I was running a small dollar co- campaign. So I couldn't just ask, you know, a couple of business owners for $10,000 mm-hmm. checks. I was asking like dozens or hundreds of people for $10 checks. Think of this not as especially if you're running a working class campaign, don't get into the mindset of, oh, it's, you know, me asking other poor people for their hard earned dollars. Like it's, it's asking people to invest in a movement, which you are a part of, which you will represent once you get into power. And I would say it's much better to ask a bunch of people for money and then be people say money talks, make sure that the money that's talking to you is the people who share your values. Yes, because all of that is uh, public information and uh, people will know who you are reporting to. Yeah, that's a really cool call out. Super important. And, you know, that's kind of that's kind of, you know, a second tricky piece of getting involved in politics. You know, one is like sort of the drama, right, which, you know, we've talked about a little bit. But the, the second piece is, you know, like money makes things difficult. Right. And, you know, you want to be careful about it, not letting you be in a in a compromising situation. Um, but of course, you know, both of those things are really balanced out by, you know, the huge upside here, which is, you know, maybe you can do something in your life that, you know, you will have no other vehicle to do, which is to have a, a huge impact on your local community um, in terms of promoting your values, in terms of protecting life, defending human rights. And, you know, there, there are very few things that could be more more fulfilling than a career in public service. Have you, you seen that your candidates have any, like, specific difficulties in fundraising uh over and above what i guess maybe just approach uh, pro-choice democrat would have i'm thinking of specifically like a lot of the like a lot of the big donors to the democratic party are things like emily's list um mm-hmm. and uh, yeah planned parenthood especially uh, locally in a lot of places yeah huge donors um and uh, and if even if they're not like directly donating, uh, a lot of the people who sit on the boards of uh, the local pro-choice uh, nonprofits uh, or uh, political action committees, like they have very deep connections with the people in the state democratic parties who control the party's purse strings. So you might think, oh, well you know, Planned Parenthood, Emily's List isn't giving me money, but the uh, Democratic Party will give me money. Um, How have you had any uh, issues with candidates uh, maybe not getting as much love from their uh, state parties uh, in terms of fundraising? And I'm also really interested to... That's a great question, uh, and I think it's hear like what it's like in louisiana louisiana is kind of like a little a little special gem i feel yeah no i was just about to say that you know like it varies depending on the state theory right so like some of the state parties take an an open approach to to funding um that would be like louisiana you know rhode island kentucky um west virginia right like i don't think 
in those states, they're not going to care. I don't think it's going to make a meaningful difference. And somewhere like, you know, I guess probably Illinois, um, you know, like Hawaii, um, uh, you know, to a lesser extent, Florida, this is where, you know, you're more likely to face, um, to face barriers, right? Um, and of course, the reason why, you know, it's different in those states is that it's not because the people who are, it's not because most party members still aren't um, pro-choice, right? Like there's still like a, a majority of that. It's just that there's strength in numbers, right? You can't kind of say for this year's state election, we're going to not fund a third of our candidates in the state legislature, right? <laughs> it's just dumb, right? Um, but, you know, in Hawaii or, you know, New York, you sort of have the liberty of saying we're going to be really nasty to the one person who decided to run as a pro-life Democrat and not help them at all. Um so, you know, it is, it's all about strength in numbers, right? Like, even if you don't think you can win your seat by running as a pro-life Democrat in a seat which is really hard to win, you're normalizing pro-life Democrats in the party. You're making it easier for the people who are going to come after you. You're making it easier for people who are running in the seats which are more viable than the seats you're in. So, like, it is always worth it. I really appreciate that perspective because I think that's, I mean, both as a, a socialist, also as a pro-life person running in the Democratic Party, like that's something that I feel uh, like both of those kind of positions have uh, a lot to learn from the Republicans um, and how like the current conservative uh, uh, Republican Party is something that was engineered through basically like a long slow takeover from the base level uh starting in like the 60s with goldwater that had a big mm -hmm. victory in the 80s with reagan another big victory in the 90s um uh, under clinton and then kind of got their final their final coup in uh, in trump and so, like, I think we have to take the courage to, like, like know that it might be a long road, but, like, start start walking that now. Because otherwise, if our, we don't get our people in now and we don't start, I mean, like, fighting and losing at the beginning, like, people will just assume that it's it's something that's impossible to do. Yes, 100%. Totally agree. Um, and if I remember, one other thing I do want to talk about is like, who is a good profile for running for office, right? And I'm saying this not because only some people should run for office, like all of you should run for office. If you're listening to this, <laughs> um, but, you know, I want to describe sort of like a set of characteristics, which if true, really mean that you should say, maybe this is my calling in life, right? Maybe this is something that I've never thought about that I should do. So like number one is like name recognition. Do you think you have above average name recognition in your community? Are you like a volunteer firefighter? You know, did you start a business that everyone knows the name of? Um, you know, have you, did you appear on TV? You know, like what connections do you have that like will make it a little bit easier for people to look at your name on the ballot and say, I know this person, I may as well give them a shot. Um, second one is you know, do you feel comfortable, um, you know, asking for support and asking people for money, right? You know, this is something which can be learned, right? I think by everyone, but if it's something that comes very naturally to you, then, you know, you could be a really strong candidate off the bat. Um, and then a third really important one is, are you a compelling candidate? Do you have a good story? You know, is this a community that you spent your entire life in? You know, did you kind of, work your way up from, you know, a struggling situation to sort of succeed in some area of life, which, you know, is going to really resonate with um, voters. Um, you know, are you from an underrepresented community? Um, this is a really important one because that can help you stand out. And, you know, of course, the Democratic Party as a whole wants that diversity, right? So we'll encourage that. Um, so those are three things that I would really highlight, you know, if you hear that and you think that's me, then, you know, run for office. And if you think that's not me, still run for office. That's the <laughs> I want you guys to take away. Great.
Okay, uh, Xavier, anything else coming up? Uh, we talked all about the Run Pro Life project for, for DFLA, but um, that's not all you guys do. Is there anything else that our listeners should get a heads up on? Uh, what else do we do? We do a lot of activism <laughs> and events. Please turn up to, if we ever ask you to you follow us on social media and you will see us asking you to turn up to rallies in your local yeah. Please. All over the country. Carissa it's will personally to get to you and people. ask you to show up to rallies within yeah. anywhere that's like four hours away from you. Correct. Yes, um, you will get corralled by the president of our organization at some point. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Teresa Bukovinak, um, who has been on this podcast several times. We love her. Um, well, great. Thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you do all the time. Um, and thanks for coming on the podcast. And thank you, guys. I'm a huge fan of Rehumanize. Every day I say to the other board members, we need to aspire to be like Rehumanize. The local <laughs> professionalism and organization is, is absolutely fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. are really ideological um, and open about it and tie it to the consistent life ethic for them. Um, because I've, I've heard a great, you know, case for why, I mean, I've heard you make the great case for why all socialists should embrace the consistent life ethic um, and how really the consistent life ethic is socialist. Um, and I've heard that same case, like from, you know, Andy, who is, you know, uh, he, he ran for office. He's another board member of Rehumanize. Who we're going to drag um, onto the podcast at some point. Point. Yeah, we're going to make him come on the podcast because he ran for office as a Republican um, and he embraces the consistent life ethic and is an activist and an organizer with us all. Um, and so I, I just can't, I don't know, I can't stress that enough that like this movement is <laughs> is pretty small, realistically, you know, in, in terms of who's really doing the work to do consistent life ethic organizing regularly. Um, so we're a small movement, but like there's enough room you know we we need to be a big movement if we're going to win um and actually change the culture and you know build this capital c capital l culture of life um and so i'm excited to have people like emiliano and hopefully our listeners who hate everything that emiliano says other than the consistent life ethic stuff um because i want you guys all to have to hang out with me and change the world with me <laughs> And like I said in the interview, uh, you you will if you even if you hate me for being a leftist, you'll probably be still nicer to me than the uh, pro-choice people who yelled at me um, on the campaign. So I can I can I can handle you. Okay, how should we how should we how should we close this out, Emiliano? You're you're the you're the uh, the co-host now, so I'm gonna let you be in charge of of closing us out. It's your first duty other than, you know, the whole rest of the podcast that you've done. Do we have like a tagline? I feel like, uh, we don't, but you can help me. You can help me make whatever you want. I'm just you kidding. Can help if we fix this podcast, uh, you can come up with one. You know, I feel like in all of the good podcasts, they are things that, um, emerge organically. So, uh, we'll just, uh, keep our hearts open to the movement of the podcast spirit and see what comes to us um but in the meanwhile this was emiliano and herb and this is the rehumanized podcast see you again next time bye <laughs>